G'day, it's Ginger here. The 2023 referendum on enshrining a First Nations voice to Parliament in the Constitution is an important moment in our nation's journey towards reconciliation. It's not the first step and it won't be the last, but it is an opportunity to inform ourselves, to deepen our understanding of the past and make collective decisions about the kind of nation that we want to be. And that's why I want to introduce you to the Honourable Dr Barry Jones, AC, a fellow of four of Australia's five learned academies. Back in January, Barry gave a stirring speech compelling the nation to reflect on the truth of its history. He implores us to reconsider how we mark Australia Day and he offers context around the upcoming voice referendum. In his 93 years, he has worn many hats from high school teacher to politician. In the 1960s, he was a household name as a TV quiz champion. In the 1980s, he was a minister in the Hawke government and he's also on the National Trust list of Australian living treasures. Barry's speech outlines a journey of invasion, violence, dispossession, colonisation and willful ignorance that continues to this day. Yet it's deeply intimate and personal too, reflecting on his earliest memories of watching and thinking about the treatment of First Nations people. I know not everyone wants to examine this part of our history. For some, it's uncomfortable to challenge the understanding that Australia is anything less than the land of the fair go. I invite you to listen to Barry, one of our most respected and loved public figures. You can head to the Academy of the Social Sciences website, socialsciences.org.au, to learn more about why the Academy supports a yes vote. And while you're there, check out the bio of Barry Jones. He really has done it all. You can also watch the video of Barry's speech on our Seriously Social YouTube channel. So, in this special episode of Seriously Social, As part of National Reconciliation Week 2023, the Academy of the Social Sciences in Australia, in collaboration with the Australian Academy of Humanities and the Australian Academy of the Technological Sciences and Engineering, bring you his speech. It's a little over 20 minutes, and I think once you start listening, you won't be able to turn it off. And afterwards, I'll give you a bit more information about the referendum on the Voice to Parliament. Here's Barry Jones. I'm Barry Jones, and I want to talk about the changing way in which we think of ourselves as being Australian. And it begins 65,000 BCE. Homo sapiens first arrived in Australia about 65,000 years before the Common Era, or BCE. We cannot pin down the specific date for their arrival. Abbreviations AD or BC of the Christian calendar have no significance in China, India, Indonesia, and Japan, but using the concept of the common era or CE means that they use the same numbers for years as Europe, the Americas, and Oceania. In the period 65 to 67,000 years ago, Australia had a land bridge with New Guinea but not with Asia, as the separate development of our unique fauna and flora demonstrates. So our first inhabitants would have arrived from Asia and from New Guinea by sea. Over 65 millennia, 
a complex society evolved with its own art, mythology, up to 500 languages and dialects, funeral practices, making tools and weapons, navigation, trading goods and materials across the continent, medicine, diet, the management and commitment to the land or country. Some nations or tribes were nomadic, essentially hunter-gatherers. Others managed their own estates with fixed boundaries. Some have stone buildings and complex eel traps. The claim that our First Nations people have the longest continuous history on the planet is soundly based. We have no written records, but the surviving rock and cave art is eloquent and powerful. There were contacts with Macassans, Dutch, Spanish, French, English, and probably Chinese and Portuguese. Then, 1788 CE. 26th of January 1788 was a very important day in Sydney, but it may not have been particularly noteworthy in the site that became Melbourne. Sydney first commemorated the day in 1838, 50 years on. Each state had its own celebratory day. In Victoria, it was Empire Day from 1905 until 1958. Colonization is always violent. The two major elements in British settlement of Australia after 1788 were the convict system and the dispossession of indigenous, killings and the systematic destruction of their culture. This contributed to an authoritarian strain in the Australian system, which remains, although there was a more liberal, open, democratic, sometimes larrikin national narrative as well. In 1788, the indigenous population has been estimated as being between 300,000 and above a million, with 750,000 being probably the best estimate most living in the southeast of the continent, similar to contemporary distribution of population generally. The introduction of disease, especially smallpox, as early as 1789, decimated indigenous communities. There were 200 massacres that we have some details about in what has been called the Frontier Wars, a hotly contested issue in the Culture Wars. There may have been about 400 Professor Lyndall Ryan has estimated 65,000 Indigenous killings in Queensland alone between 1788 and 1930, with many thousands in other colonial states. Possible, Indigenous killings number as many as Australian deaths in action in World Wars I and II combined. Indigenous Australians were driven off their traditional lands, forbidden to speak indigenous language. Many children removed from their mothers, the stolen generation, until about 1970, and often tormented, starved, shot, or poisoned. The last officially sanctioned massacre occurred in 1928 in the Northern Territory, near Coniston Station. There were unofficial massacres in the 1930s.
There was never any attempt to negotiate treaties with First Nations people, unlike Canada, New Zealand, and the United States. In the 19th and much of the 20th century, what was called the passing of the Aborigines was taken for granted. In recent decades, authoritarianism was justified by the explanation, we're doing it for their own good. A rigidity, harshness, cruelty, even sadism in institutions, armed forces, churches, schools, orphanages. Our failure to recognize the suffering, dispossession, and marginalization of our First Nations was part of what the anthropologist W.H. Stanner, in his important Boyer Lectures in 1968 for the ABC, called the Great Australian Silence. Being honest with ourselves, Australian history does not read like history, but like the most beautiful lies Mark Twain wrote in his book, Following the Equator. A number of important elements in Australia are marked by a striking lack of candor, a hesitancy about grasping the truth. Australia's way of dealing with racism was to deny that it existed, relying on evasion and amnesia. Mark Twain, the, the most famous American author of his time, whose Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn were international bestsellers, visited Australia in 1895 and saw things that nobody around seemed to notice and certainly did not want to discuss. He wrote powerfully about the killing of indigenous Australians, the bush pudding with arsenic revenge. They did not kill all the blacks, but they promptly killed enough of them to make their persons safe. From the dawn of civilization down to this day, the white man has always used this very precaution. Mark Twain was amazed that when he raised these issues, the reaction was not outrage, but indifference. White Australia was one of the driving forces of the Federation movement. Alfred Deakin, a liberal reformer on most issues, was a zealot on race. And the white Australia policy remained in force until the 1970s. When the Commonwealth of Australia was inaugurated in January 1901, the Premier of New South Wales, William Lyon, observed, of the three great colonial possessions, Australia's lot has been the happiest. Unlike Canada and South Africa, she has not had a race problem to solve. The strongest intellectual influence on me as a child was Hendrik Willem van Loon, an American journalist and historian born in the Netherlands, whose The Story of Mankind and The Home of Mankind shaped my thinking. He had the cartoonist's gift for explaining complex subjects with powerful images. The Home of Mankind was a world geography. He deplored the curable vice of nationalism and the horrors of what he called the great era of exploitation during the imperial expansion of the 19th century. Then came three sentences which horrified me when I read them first at the age of six or seven. The manhunt 
with horses and dogs organized to exterminate the Aborigines of Australia are rarely mentioned in the histories devoted to the early years of that distant continent. Why go on, wrote Van Loon. I'm merely repeating what everybody knows. Hendrik Van Loon, the home of mankind, is writing that in 1933. I didn't know about it, nor did my teachers, nor did textbooks record it. Significantly, although I read few books by Australians or about Australia at that time, I remember that in promotional material for the sesquicentenary of European settlement in 1938, Indigenous Australians had been included in a list of fauna. That did seem odd. There was a strong white supremacist theme in initial enthusiasm for participation in World War I, expressed by C.E.W. Bean, later the preeminent war historian, that Australia was the only continent without racial mixture. Bit of a stretch there, but he saw Indigenous as marginal, irrelevant, or headed for extinction. Australia Day or Invasion Day? The sesquicentenary in 1931 was commemorated nationwide on 26th of January, but it retained a New South Wales emphasis until the bicentennial in 1988. Australia Day was only observed in every state and territory from 1994, a late date which will come as a surprise. There was always a degree of confusion about what had happened on the original 26th of January, some, including at least one former Prime Minister, thought it was James Cook's landing at Botany Bay rather than the arrival of the First Fleet under Arthur Phillip. The satirical blog, The Shovel, reported on a poll asking Australia the significance of 26th of January, and the answers included, Captain Cook landed on Gallipoli as part of the Eureka War and the Southern Cross star constellation first formed. That's brutal, but close to the bone. Now we're in 2023. Given its unpromising beginnings in 1788, settler Australia is and has been a country of remarkable achievement, outstandingly successful in many areas. But we could achieve far more for ourselves and humanity generally if we came clean about our past. We have much to be proud of. There are about 180 nations on earth and Australia ranks in the top 10 on many social indicators, democratic practice and free elections, the Human Development Index, life expectancy, although we slipped a little under COVID, high literacy rates, excellent research and institutions, possibly the most successful multicultural nation and a spirit of optimism. The traditions of mateship and the fair go are still robust. We've been outstanding in how we deal with emergencies, bushfires, floods, accidents on roads, in rivers and oceans, the air. Sport has had an important levelling effect 
in Australian society. Of course, there are problems too. Number one in the world for gambling, troubling levels of beast and alcohol dependence, indigenous incarceration rates and deaths in custody, some of the most segmented schooling in the OECD, some brutal agricultural practices in treatment of land, forests and waterways, failure to produce economically complex product. The 2021 Australian Census recorded an Indigenous population of 812,000. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders number 3.3% of Australia's population, 28% of all prisoners, 13% of homicide victims, and 11% of those charged with homicide. Adult prisoners, as a proportion of all incarcerations, range from 9% in Victoria, 691 prisoners, to 84%, 1,477, in the Northern Territory. Blinding trachoma ended in Europe and the United States in the 1950s, but remains in some remote Australian Indigenous communities. And I've had some involvement in the campaign to end it. Indigenous issues remain highly sensitive, with much of the coalition's base demonstrated by failure to endorse the Uluru Statement from the Heart in May 2017. What about alternative days for commemoration? The 1st of January, anniversary of the establishment of the Commonwealth of Australia in 1901, of course, it's already a public holiday. 26th of January could be renamed First Fleet Day or White Australia Day. Age is the most significant area of difference of opinion on this. Polling indicates that Australians under 35 overwhelmingly support changing if and how we commemorate 26th of January, perhaps as Invasion Day or Survival Day. Those over 50 strongly support the status quo. What about the 3rd of March? That's the date the Australia Act of 1986 came into force, repatriating the Commonwealth Constitution with the United Kingdom Parliament graciously giving up the power to legislate for us. But the Constitution itself remains cringe-making. Then there's the 27th of May. That's the date of the 1967 referendum, which allowed Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people be counted in the census and the Commonwealth Parliament to be able to, be, to make laws about them. The referendum on a voice to Parliament. Peter Dutton has explained his reluctance to support the referendum on inserting a voice to Parliament in the Constitution is that far more detail must be provided because the proposed voice might cripple how government works. The charges are wrong, hypocritical, and dishonest. In Australian referenda, the question posed is almost always very simple, sometimes even obscure, leading detail to be worked out by the parliament in legislation if it passed. The questions expand the role of parliament. They never contract. 
1946, a referendum was carried, giving Parliament the capacity to make laws on social services. The question asked was, do you approve of the proposed law for the alteration of the Commonwealth entitled Constitution Alteration Social Services 1946? Note that there was no detail provided, not one word referring to maternity allowances, widows, pensions, child endowment, unemployment, pharmaceutical, sickness and hospital benefits, medical and dental services. In 1999, a referendum to insert a preamble in the Constitution put up by the Howard government asked the question which reads in all its glory, a proposed law to alter the Constitution to insert a preamble. Do you approve this proposed alteration? It could hardly be described as packed with detail. What on earth was the proposed preamble? True, the referendum failed and may have even been intended to fail. The proposed preamble begins with hope in God and advances eight feel-good propositions in which number four reads, honouring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the nation's first people, for their deep kinship with their lands and for their ancient and continuing cultures which enrich the life of our country. The Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander reference is just a wave from a gloved hand, virtually meaningless. Honour, but no action. But the voice to Parliament, however constructed, has the potential to stimulate informed debate, set priorities and lead to practical outcomes. Is it symbolic? You bet. Don't underrate the significance of symbols, but we must act now. Timing is, if not everything, always a central element in whether taking action will work. I remember with some bitterness that in 1999, when the other referendum on a republic, there were zealots who said, the model set out in the referendum question doesn't go far enough. If we voted down now, a better model will quickly emerge so that we can all agree on it. 23 years later, this has not yet happened. I agree completely with Noel Pearson, Tom Calmer, Linda Burney, the Dodson brothers, Marcy Lank, Henry Reynolds, Gareth Evans, Judith Brett, Mark McKenna, Dean Ashenden. The time to act on a voice is now. It's now 235 years after the 26th of January 1788, with Terra as the law of the land for 205 of them. Our Commonwealth Constitution, dating from 1901, made only two references to our First Nations people, both negative, that they were not to be counted in the census and the Commonwealth could make no laws for their benefit. The 1967 referendum was a valuable first step. The Mabo judgment of 1992 was a second. The apology to the stolen generation in 2008 a third, but we must now complete the journey. This is not just for the benefit of First Nations people. It is an essential element 
of being honest with ourselves to fulfill the human potential of all of us. It's time. Do it now. That's the Honourable Dr Barry Jones, AC, a Fellow of the Academy of the Social Sciences in Australia and of four out of five learned academies in Australia, a man whose diverse achievements and accolades are simply too long to list in this podcast. Later this year, Australians will be asked to vote yes or no to the proposal to alter the Constitution to recognise the First Peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. The voice will be an independent advisory body chosen by First Nations people to represent their views to the Australian Parliament and Executive Government. It will be a route to help inform policy and legal decisions that impact their lives. Find out more about The Voice at voice.gov.au. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Seriously Social. I'm Ginger Gorman. See you next time.